Well, good morning. How's it going? Great. Good to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors and uh, delighted to be able to open up God's Word with you. Before we do, let me just remind you, especially if you're new here, uh, we've got a class called Start Here. A really great uh, way for you to take a step and begin to meet some people and get to know some people. We really do believe that as, uh, as a church, one of our desires is to move people from rows to circles. And so a great first step into those relationships and just really jump-starting your faith is start here. There's information about it in your program. Uh, you can check it out. Um, we're in this series, The Other 167. This is our third of four weeks on this series. And the title comes from the idea that there are 168 hours in a week. Uh, maybe one of them is spent here and the other 167 are spent out there. They're spent in the rest of life. And so what we're doing for this series, just four weeks, is we're looking at four key areas of life that really have significant impact on the other 167. We say here a lot that all of life is all for Jesus. And so this series is, is a way to begin to look at what, what does that really mean? How does that look? So the last few weeks we've looked at family. We've talked about marriage and then parenting. Today we're talking about money. And next week we're talking about work. Um, so if you've ever wondered, how does, my, how does work integrate with my faith uh, come next week and we'll talk about that. But today we're going to talk about money uh, from the passage that we just looked at a moment ago. Before we uh, dive into that, though, I want to give you a little bit of a financial update on our church. We just finished kind of year-end, uh, closing out 2014, and uh, some really exciting things to celebrate together, uh, and, and this seemed like just a natural time to do it. So first, uh, at, at Christmas Eve, we've developed a tradition here where every Christmas Eve we do a Christmas offering that's specifically designed to... To, to bless uh, people in and outside of our church in sort of outward-focused ways. And so this year's Christmas offering was going towards foster care and adoption initiatives, uh, toward benevolence funds that would help people uh, going through difficult uh, times, as well as then uh, a seed fund to be able to invest for some of our partners uh, who are in Turkey. They're doing ministry overseas, and they're really hoping to have a building in that community uh, where they're at. And so we uh, asked you to give over and above, and you were incredibly generous this year, especially when you consider, as I'll talk about in a moment, we have a capital campaign going on uh, to see how you guys gave just uh, incredibly generous. I I'm really thankful. So here's the amount, what you gave to the Christmas offering this year, $29,844. Yeah. And um, again, I'm just so encouraged by that. As we've talked with Mark and Catherine Burns in Turkey, uh, they're excited, and uh, they have a couple different places that they think they may be able to secure as a next step for a building, and so uh, th your gift just hugely, and not only does the money really help them, but it really encourages them too, to know that this church is standing with them uh, in that way, really, really cool. So as I mentioned, we closed out 2014. I want to give you just an update of how that was for us, financially speaking, as a church. Uh, we want to be open. We want to be transparent. Uh, you can ask questions, uh, not right now, but maybe after we got a little more time uh, we would love to answer those and, and be as helpful as we can our budget for this past year was uh, 1.25 million dollars that uh, funds all kinds of things it funds our regularly week in week out ministries 10 percent of that at least goes towards missions and church planning and global stuff um, that also uh, pays for our staff to be able to devote themselves full-time to equipping and to leadership and development of ministry that helps pay for our building a lot of a lot of other stuff but that was our budget for this year uh, you all generously gave in 2014, this is incredible, just over $1.3 million. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to clap for that. Yeah. Um, that's 6% more than the budgeted need. And if you've ever been in a church environment that is just always kind of scraping by, 
Um, you just know what a huge blessing this is. And so thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, then on the stewardship side, as a staff and our volunteers that help kind of oversee uh, money and how that gets spent in our church, uh, we want to give you an update in terms of our spending. So our spending for the year uh, was $1,237,000 and some change. So just under a budget in terms of spending, which wouldn't you love if your government could do that? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what, that would be great, wouldn't it? If you spent as, you know, less than you brought in, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. So the surplus for that lands out at, at just over $90,000, and uh, we're really thankful for that. So you know what happens with that. Uh, a significant portion of that, really the majority of it, actually goes into our Roots campaign uh, to help pay for land, and, and uh, we'll talk about that uh, more in just a moment. So thank you for your generosity. Thanks for your commitment. What I see in this, really, uh, as we'll talk about in, in the message today, is not mostly a commitment to the church. Though that's part of it. You wouldn't give if you didn't trust the church. But it's mostly a commitment to the Lord. And it's mostly a commitment to honor him. And so we really appreciate that. Our budget for this year is $1.35 million. That goes up a little bit um, as more people have been coming and more needs continue to happen. We're launching a third service here in a couple weeks. And uh, we've tried to uh, just be real reasonable. That's almost what uh, you gave last year. So it's not like that's a huge increase. Uh, if you would like a more specific breakdown of how that shakes out or what that looks like, uh, feel free to talk to me or talk to Matthew. He's the tall, lanky guy that plays guitar. And uh, we can get you the information that you need there, all right? I mentioned Roots, and if you're new here, you don't know about Roots. Roots is our uh, project where we have purchased, past tense, we already did it, we purchased 10 and a half acres directly next door to this building. So if you go out the building and you look across that field, about to where the big black pole uh, stands up in the field, that's, that's our land. We own that. And uh, God willing, uh, someday we're going to build a building on it that we'll be able to have as a permanent thing. Uh, this is a building that we love. We're excited about where, where we're at now, but, but it's temporary. Uh, we're not going to be able to be here forever, both in terms of size and the fact that we rent it and that we're really at the, uh, I guess, the mercy of landlords in terms of future leases and things like that. So we wanted to lay down roots. We want to have a permanent presence for the gospel in this uh, community, and so we've been asking uh, you to give uh, over and above to support that. We had said that our goal was $1,050,000, um, but actually as we've been going through it this year, uh, we've seen some really good news, which is that uh, because we didn't borrow that money from the bank, but we were able to borrow it from the reserves that exist within Redemption as a whole, um, we actually saved quite a bit of money over what we expected. So uh, we've been able to knock down that, that estimated need to $1 million. So yeah, that's good. So we, we gained some ground there. And then when you look at what you all gave last year, as well as the uh, that portion of that surplus that goes into Roots, here's where we, we, where we stand with Roots. Roots is now at $477,000. Uh, you can see what remains. That's, that's, uh, that's incredible. And, and just for perspective here, uh, this is a 20-month campaign. It started uh, somewhere around April, and we're, our hope has been to complete it, to have that million dollars paid for uh, by the end of 2015. So we're about 40% of the way through that campaign in terms of time that's elapsed, and we're about 47% in terms of uh, way to our goal. So I'm really encouraged by that. We had a lot of experts that told us, hey, 20 months is too fast. You can't raise that much money that fast. You should stretch it out. And uh, we said, well, we'll see. And, and so this gives me hope, and uh, this, this encourages me um, that as you continue to give and continue to be faithful and believe in that vision, uh, that maybe we'll get there. So on behalf of our elders, our pastors, I just want to say thanks um, thank you for that. 
Um, it's a big deal and just in terms of what it says about your commitment to the church and your commitment to the Lord. So let me take a moment and pray, and we'll dive into this message. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness and your generosity to us. God, we just remember that you're a giver. Even the most famous verse in the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. And so, God, when we give, we're like Jesus. We thank you for that. Thank you for everyone uh, who has given to Christmas offering and to our general operating budget and to Roots and to all these different things and scholarships for kids to go to camp. God, uh, we thank you for that. We see that as from you and for you, and we give you the credit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're going to uh, spend some time here in this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and in Matthew 6, 19, uh, the context here is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is uh, giving what's probably his most famous sermon that goes Matthew 5 through Matthew chapter 7. A lot of it here is talking to more religious people, people that have some familiarity with the Ten Commandments, people that pray, people that give, people that fast. And in this sermon, Jesus is really trying to get to the heart of the matter, trying to help people understand uh, that religion is not primarily about external surface kind of stuff. It's an internal thing in the heart. As he begins that in, in verse 19, here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, everything you buy is, is fading away. And so I saw something recently and it, it just really made me happy to see uh, that these two things could be in common. So here's, here's my question. What, do, what does Jerry Seinfeld and Jesus, what do they have in common? I thought of three things. One, they're both Jewish. Uh, two, I love them both a lot. <laughs> very dear people to me. And third, they had a very similar perspective on what happens to our stuff and our possessions. Take a look. All things on earth only exist in different stages of becoming garbage. Okay, your home is a garbage processing center where you buy new things, bring them into your house, and slowly crapify them over time. Okay, this is your life. Oh, you're all excited when you get something, right? You bring it in, you open it on the kitchen table, the place of honor for the new arrival. You read the instructions, fill out the registration card. You may even join the club of other idiots that have this thing. And then some time goes by, and it slowly begins to dawn on you that maybe you're not going to be quite as keen on drying out fruit and storing it in your basement <laughs> as you thought. So what do you do? You have to demote it. Objects start the highest level, visible in a living area. From there, it goes down to a closet, cupboard or drawer. That's why we have those, so we don't have to see all of the huge mistakes we have made. Let's play it up. From the closet, it goes to the garage, one of the longest phases in trashification. But the most definite. No object has ever made it out of the garage and back into the house. The word garage seems to be a form of the word garbage. That's what it is. Once you're living in the same room as the garbage cans, well, 
It won't be much longer now. Really, eBay is the only thing that can save the object at this point. eBay, another great step forward in human culture. Hey, why don't we mail our garbage back and forth to each other? Why talk to your family at night when you could be bidding eight to ten dollars on a troll doll from Thailand? Or a personal storage unit. This is the saddest of all. Now, instead of free garbage, you pay rent to visit your garbage. It's like a prison visit when you go there, isn't it? Everything's locked up, everything's rusted and broken. You gotta bust into that lock, you lift up that rolling steel door. Look, I'm trying to get you guys out of here, okay? But there's no place for you in the world. I'm looking, I'm working on it. I will be back to see you again soon. Everything. My point is simple. Everything is thrown out in the end. Yeah. Everything's thrown out in the end. It's, it's all becoming garbage. That's the same thing Jesus says. Everything eventually kind of falls apart. So here's my question. We all know that's true, right? Like the reason that's funny is because it resonates with our experience. We, we understand that it's true that everything falls apart and eventually ends up thrown away. We get that. We also get that life doesn't consist of possessions, right? The, you've heard the adage that you never see a U-Haul in the back of a hearse. You can't take it with you. We all know that. We all know that at the end of your life, what's going to matter is your faith and your family and your friends, not your stuff. If we all know that, then why does money and possessions seem to have such a grip on our hearts and lives? If we know that, then why do we spend so much time anxious and stressed and worried about money? If we know that, how come for many couples in this room, the, the subject that creates the most tension and the most fighting in your relationship is money? How come we're so discouraged and depressed and anxious when it comes to our financial lives? When we know our life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. It, the reason, the answer, is because money is a more powerful force than we often realize. And so what I want to do is I want to spend most of our time today, we'll talk a little bit on verses 19 through 23, but I want to spend most of our time looking at what Jesus had to say about this in verse 24. Verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus here is just giving a basic principle. You can't have two masters. If you're a servant, if you're a slave, if you're responsible for doing what someone else wants, it makes your life very difficult if you have two masters. Right? They may say opposite things. You might be devoted to one and not like the other one. And then you go, well, who do I obey and how do I do this? Right? It's just a very common principle. And Jesus is saying everyone in this world is a servant of somebody or something. Bob Dylan said that. He had a song, you got to serve somebody. You're never in charge. You're always a servant. So Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And then you'd expect him to say 
You cannot serve God and Satan. You can't serve God and the devil. You can only have one master. You can't serve God and Satan. But that's not what he says. What, according to Jesus, is the biggest rival of our hearts? What has the most power to compete with our attention and affection and service? According to Jesus, it's money. Jesus doesn't say, you can't serve God and Satan. He says, you cannot serve God and money. So here's kind of the big idea of today's message, is that God's biggest rival isn't Satan, it's money. And this word money, uh, you actually, in your Bible, probably have a little footnote there. If you're reading a paper Bible, there's a footnote there that says uh, that, that this Greek word is the word mammon which is a Semitic word for money or possessions. So this word that, that's translated here, money, that's how most translators translate it, it's broader than that. It's, it's also your, your wealth and your possessions and your property and your stuff and your money. You cannot serve God and money. So what is it about money? Because right, money itself is a neutral thing. Money itself, I mean, the paper and the coins or the credit or the whatever, it, it, it can be used for good, it can be used for evil, right? Nowhere in this whole passage does Jesus say, stop laying up treasure. He just says, be careful where you lay it. Treasure's not the problem. Laying it up's not the problem. The problem is where you put it. So if money is this neutral thing, then what is it about money that has the power to, to so grip our hearts that Jesus would see it as the ultimate rival? Well, here's what it is. As I've thought more deeply about money, one of the things I realize is that money, our pursuit for, our love for, our service of money and possessions isn't really about money. It's about some deeper stuff. It's about what money can provide that we look to money to provide rather than looking to God to provide. So you kind of, if you were to picture this, you could picture a heart that is filled with this desire for money. Money is the controlling factor. This heart is devoted to serving money, right? That's what Jesus said. You can't serve God and money. Well, this is a heart serving money. What is it that the heart serving money is really after? I think there are six things. There are six deeper things. There's some overlap in these. Uh, some of these uh, have varying levels of control or influence on different people. So it's, it's not like all six of these will be things that you equally feel grip your heart, but I guarantee some of them do. So here's the first one. The first thing that, that money provides that we really crave is control. I don't know about you, but I want to do what I want to do. I, I don't want to be told where I can go, where I can live, where I can eat, where I can do whatever I want to do. I, I want to do what I want, right? I've heard it said that there are people who acknowledge they're control freaks and there are liars, <laughs> right? We are control freaks. We like to be in control, right? And it's built into, I think, just the, the reality that God's made us in his image and we make real choices and we're responsible for those choices. So that's not an all bad thing. It's codified in our country, right, in the pursuit of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That implies that you need freedom to make real choices, to have control over your life. We love 
control. And money provides at least some degree of control. Right? If I have money, this is, how I, this is how it tempts me. If I have money, I can control what my kids do and don't do, their opportunities, their activities. Right? If, if I have a daughter that, that really wants to be in gymnastics and I have money, I can put her in gymnastics. I can be in charge of that. If I don't have money, I can't. If, if I have a, a kid that wants to be able to take this class or go to that school and I have money, I can do that. If I don't, I can't. I want to have control over a vacation, over the ability to travel. I don't want to have to do a staycation. I'd like to be able to buy a plane ticket and go somewhere nice and stay in a nice hotel and eat at a good restaurant and visit a park or a museum or an amusement park or do things that are fun. And if I have money, I'm in control of that. If I have money, I can do what I want. So a desire for money isn't just about money. It's about control. It's not just about control. It's also about comfort. For some people, comfort is more of a, of, of a deal. This is important to me. Is I want to have nice things. I want to have comfortable stuff. I, I want to I have a comfortable bed to sleep in. Right? I realize it's a luxury to just have a mattress or to have a house that could fit a mattress if you were to look at the whole world. But I figure I'm going to spend eight hours a night sleeping. I'd like to be comfortable in the bed I sleep. I want a nice mattress. I want to have nice, comfortable clothes. I want in the summertime when it feels like hell on earth in Phoenix, I want to be able to crank down the AC as much as I want to without having to worry about the bill. Why? Because I want to be comfortable. I want a full pantry of all the food I like to eat. I want a stocked fridge. Why? Because I want to be comfortable. And money gives you access to that. So our hearts, again, not necessarily all about money itself. We're about control. We're about comfort. We're also about approval. I want to be liked. And I want to be well thought of. I want to be able to go to dinner with a group of people and just pay for it. Partly because that'd be nice and mostly because they would think that was cool that I did that. Wow, you're so generous. I I, I don't want to be embarrassed when a friend says, hey, do you want to go out to lunch and and I really can't afford to do it? I don't want to have to go, well, no, I I can't or make up an excuse. I I don't want to feel like that. And, and, and face the sort of disapproval that they would maybe feel about that, right? This desire for approval drives people in significant ways when it relates to money. It drives people in terms of what, they, what they, kind of cars they drive sometimes, what kind of house they live in, what kind of clothes they wear. Sometimes I'll look at people and go, how do they afford that? And then I remember, oh, they can't. But what would drive a person to spend far beyond what they have in terms of their means? What? A desire for approval. I want to look like I have a, a nicer lifestyle, right? I've got a few friends that are just wearing me out about that I need a bigger TV. And I'm not getting a bigger TV right now. Someday, I guarantee I'll get a bigger TV. But for now, that's not the most important priority for us. And I'm not getting a bigger TV. Okay, Matthew? And he tells, he tells me that, hey, it'd be much more fun to watch the game at your house if you had a bigger TV. Yeah. Okay? And I know that that's true. 
And I'm not against buying a big TV. I don't think it's wrong. I, like I said, someday I'll have a huge TV. But right now I don't. But I'd, I'd like one, partly because I could see it clearer, and partly because it would, I, I'd get these people off my back who are saying, when are you going to get a new, new TV? And I rationalize it and go, well, maybe for ministry so we could have people over. Yeah, the issue is not the TV. The issue is the approval. What drives us isn't money. It's control and comfort. It's approval. It's also power for some people. Power is money, right? Money is power. Right? If you have money, you have the ability to influence people. You have the ability to, to play political games in organizations and in, in work and in churches and in, in nonprofits. You have the ability to have significant influence over a political process. Right? There's a lot of discussion in our country right now about what it means that the whole political process seems to be funded by a very small amount of people who have disproportionate influence over, over things because of how much money they have. You could, you could have money to have a building named after your family. So legacy is part of the power, as well as access, right? If you have money, you, you, you can get your kid into the best school, into the best rehab, <laughs> into the best team, into the best travel sports, into the best school of the arts. There's access, there's power that's available when you have money. There's also security that comes with money. How about you? I don't want to worry. I don't want to wonder how we're going to make it through this month. I don't want to wonder, is, are the lights going to turn off at some point? I don't want to worry, am I, am I going to, is this the day they're going to come take back my car? I don't want to worry about that. I want to be secure. I want to be safe. I want things to be a level of ease where I don't have to worry about that. I don't want to stress about that. And, and, and that's a very natural and normal thing to want, isn't it? I mean, that's absolutely okay to want security. But part of the reason money has such power is because money is the way to get security. Some people go, I don't really care about nice vacations and big TVs and political ads, but I just want to know that I'm going to have a safe, comfortable life for me and my family. The last thing that exercises control over us is hope. Hope. Money gives you hope, right? Because hope is saying, I want something to look forward to. I can anticipate this, right? My, my wife's family uh, lives in Ohio, and we would love to visit them more often. We'd love to have them visit more often. We're very close to them. We love them dearly. Um, and one of the things that, that's hard is when we, when we finish a trip with them and we don't have another one planned, there's nothing to look forward to. But when you, you finish the trip and you go, oh, well, but we'll see you in a few months, you have something to look forward to, right? And, and money is plane tickets, and money is hope. Oh, when this season's over, we're going on that vacation. When all this is up, I'm going to retire. I'm going to travel to Europe, right? All those things, those are things we hope for, we look forward to. Do do you get it here? The reason money is powerful isn't because money itself is bad. It's because our hearts want these things so badly 
and you can get them through money. That's what's at stake here. And this is at stake, listen, if you have a lot of money, then these are real choices for you. Right? You, can, you can have all the things that I just described. If you don't have money, you can still be under the controlling influence of it because you're constantly thinking about what you don't have, what you wish you had. Right? Some of the most materialistic people are the people who can't afford anything. Because they're constantly thinking, if I just had that, if I could just do that. Right? It doesn't matter whether you're a good steward, you're responsible with your money, or you're a bad steward and irresponsible with it. Right? Some people are very responsible with their money to fuel all the stuff that they idolatrously want. They're very responsible with their money because money's their God that they're serving. Other people are very irresponsible with their money because they want to pursue all these things that they can't afford because that's what their heart really wants. And in all of it, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. So I've got some questions to ask to try to help us think this through. Four questions. Here's the first one. Who is your master? Jesus says, you're never the master. You're never in charge. You're always the servant. So when it comes to this, who's your master? Are you looking to money for comfort and control and approval and power and security and hope? Is that what you're looking for? And that's what you're after? And so money has become your master? Or do you realize that as a follower of Christ, in Christ, you already have that stuff? And he's enough. Right? Are you going, my heart has got to grab all these things? Or do you go, it's already mine in Christ. Listen to this. The God of comfort is with you in Jesus. What else do you need? We just sang it. Just to know that you are near is enough. God of heaven, come down. Be with me here, God. The God of comfort's with you. What else do you need? The God who controls all things is for you. He has said that everything that happens in your life, if you're a, a, someone who loves God and is called according to his purpose, everything that happens is good for you. And he's in charge of all of it. Do you need more than that? God Almighty, this is amazing, approves of you in Jesus Christ. We'll study in a few weeks when Jesus was baptized and a voice came from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And for anyone who has trusted in Christ, that voice booms from heaven over you. God approves. God is pleased. God loves you. Who, who else's opinion matters? The God who made the universe is on your side. What could be more power than that? God promises to provide for your needs. He does it right down here in, in chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all the things you worry about, will be added unto you. God promises to provide for your needs. What more security is there than that? And Jesus tells us in John 14 that he has a place in his Father's house, prepared for those who are in Christ. What greater hope could there be? Do you see how the gospel of Jesus Christ makes God 
your master? Instead of being mastered by all these other things that you use money to get, you say, no, God, you're my master. I trust you. I don't need to be in control. You have the power. You're going to provide the comfort. You're going to provide the security. You already approve. There's hope in you. Or will you anxiously chase the wind and look for it in other places? Who's your master? That's the first question. Second question is this. Are you moving toward or away from your treasure? Are you moving toward or away from your treasure? Uh, Take a look at verses 19 and 20. Here's what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's a way of looking at this. Your treasure is either money or God. Are you moving toward your treasure or away from it? If your money is your God, if that's your treasure, then as you die, you're moving away from it. If God is your treasure, if he is your master, as you die and approach eternity, you're moving toward it. Does that make sense? There's a great book. We, we just got a bunch of new good books out on the book rack. You should check it out. Uh, one of them is The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's a little, tiny, uh, great, easy, easy to read book all about this idea of, of treasuring God above anything else. And one of his principles in it is he, he says it this way, live for the line, not the dot. Live for the line, not the dot. He says, your life is that dot. It's just short. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's like grass, the Bible says. And eternity is forever. Right? And so Jesus is saying, don't make your treasure, don't make your God, don't make your master the dot. Live for God who's the line. Live for the line. Don't live for the dot. If you do that, then you'll be moving toward God and therefore toward your treasure rather than away from your real treasure, your money. How do you do that? It's giving, it's committing yourself to the Lord that he's who you serve, it's stewarding all the money that God gives you for his glory, it's seeing money not as your hope or your security or your comfort or your control, but it's just money because you have all that you really need in Christ. Third question, are you in the light about money and your heart? Are you in the light? Are you seeing things clearly? Or are you deceived? Are you foggy on this? There's this really kind of interesting little illustration Jesus uses in verses 22 and 23. Right? Verses 19 to 21, he's talking about treasure and money. Verse 24, he's talking about money. And then there's this, verses 22 and 23, he's talking about the eye and the body and a lamp. And, you know, really, I think that the whole thing would just flow better if verses 22 and 23 weren't there. Here's the problem. They're there. And I don't have scissors. I don't believe I have that kind of authority. I don't, I'm not Thomas Jefferson. I can't, you know, cut out the Bible, the parts I don't like. I don't have a Stepford God that just says yes, dear, to whatever I say. I have to submit to God. And he put it in there. So what does it mean? Here's what it says, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy... Remember this, that word healthy is literally, the Greek word means singular. If your eye is healthy, if it's singular, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or sick, 
your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So he talks about treasure, and then this whole thing about the eye, and then treasure, and who are you going to really love? What, what does this mean? Well, we, it's hard to understand. Commu- uh, commentators have struggled to kind of understand exactly why this is here, uh, partly because we don't think of lamps the same way they did probably in these days. We think of a lamp that's, if your eye is a lamp, it's shining out. They thought of it as the, the, the lamp being kind of the thing that let light in. So uh, maybe more along the lines of what Jesus is meaning here for, for our day would be to say that your eye is like a window. It lets light in. And if that's the case, if your eye is healthy, and again, that means singular, meaning if you have single focus, you don't see double vision, your vision's not blurred by all these other things you love, if your eye is singularly focused on God, your life is filled with light. If your eye is fuzzy, if you're seeing double vision, trying to serve God and money, even the light in you is not very bright. And the whole picture here has to do with your eye, has to do with seeing. So the question is, are you seeing yourself clearly as it relates to money and God and possessions? See, we're so easily deceived. I've had a lot of people come to me over the years and say, you know, I'm really struggling with anger. I'm struggling with controlling my words. I'm struggling with sexual sin. I'm struggling with discouragement and apathy. I've never, ever had someone come and say, I'm struggling with greed. Why? Because no one thinks they struggle with greed. That's how deceptive it is. And so part of this is just say, do you see yourself clearly? Are you seeing it this way? God's given you all these resources. Are are you seeing the way you're using them the same way that God does? Or are you self-deceived? Are you seeing double? Here's the last question. Are you leveraging the power of money to help you grow in your faith? Are you leveraging the power of money to help you grow, to help you love God more, to help you serve God more faithfully? Here's the good news about money. Because it's not automatically bad, but instead it's neutral, it can be used for good. Right? You can use money to pursue all the stuff that you really want besides God, or you can use money to pursue God. This is what's beautiful about this. This is why Jesus says this in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is that our hearts follow our money. If you pay for your kid to play soccer, you'll care about your kid playing soccer. If you pay as an adult to work your way through college, you will care about your classes. If you give to a building project in Turkey, you'll care about Turkey. Your heart follows your treasure. Jesus knows this. So here's what this means. This means that money is a thermometer that reveals your heart, but more importantly, money is a thermostat that sets the temperature of your heart. So if you're saying, I want to treasure God more, I want to serve God, I don't want to be double visioned, I I want to have all that I need in Him, you can use money to make that more of a reality in your life. Are you leveraging that? See, here's the thing for me. I am way too tempted 
to find my life in control and comfort and approval and security and power and hope in this world. I'm way too tempted by that to not fight it as hard as I can with generosity. This is not something that you just have to let happen whatever happens to you. You can fight. You can respond. And the antidote to materialism, the antidote to selfishness, the antidote to seeing money as your answer is generosity and giving. It's the antidote to it. It's it's a tool that God gives you to to grow in your faith. This, This is why, by the way, I want you to give. And I want you to give not just because when you give, it blesses our church. Not just because you could give to help uh, families that are going through foster care and adoption. Not just because I want to see people around the world come to know Christ. Those are all good things. But Jesus says, I want you to give because giving sets you up to love me with single vision. This is about growing as a disciple who loves God with everything. And I'll tell you what, it's not easy to part with your money, to give it, to be open-handed. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Part of the reason I feel so confident in saying that is because that's just what I've seen in my own life. One of the challenges of, of teaching every week is you're always trying to apply what you teach before you teach it. And you teach every week, that's hard to do. It's hard to keep up. But this is an area, I just want you to know, for me and for our pastors and our elders, as we've talked about this, this is an area your leadership is leading by example. Because we found this to be true. Your heart follows your treasure. We want to love and treasure God. So we give generously. Molly and I, a number of years ago, when when we first were married, made a commitment that we would never give less than 10% to ministry. We just felt like we're going to trust that God can do more and provide better and take better care of us with 90% than we could do with 100. And so that's an unwavering commitment. We will do that no matter what. And we, we've tried over the years to try to increase that. And, uh, you know, we've, we've tried to increase it a little bit and to be generous. We don't see that as the ceiling of our giving. We see it as the floor, and we want to try to expand it. And this is challenging because we're in a stage of life like many of you are. We've got three kids. We've got needs galore. Right? We've got uh, one girl kind of at the beginning of braces, another one that it's coming. And we had a baby born this, this past year that that cost a little bit more money than we expected. We've got doctor visits. We've got all sorts of things. We, you know, we're at the prime age of, like, if you're going to really invest right now for retirement in terms of multiplication and, and compounding interest and all those things, this is prime time to save and invest as much as you can. We're in that boat. And yet we so believe what Jesus is saying and so distrust our own hearts that we've said we're going to give generously. This, this past year, again, this is, this is, none of this is to, to brag. It's just to say, I, I've, I've lived the reality of what Jesus is saying, and it's true. And I want you to go there with us. This past year for Molly and I, we gave more than we've ever given. We've had maybe more needs than we've had this year as well. But we, between regular giving and roots and Christmas offering, we said, so we're, we're going we're gonna to give. 
And we're going to give not just more money, but more percentage. And we can't always do that. We may not always be able to do that. This, this year, it ended up being 18%. And some of you, that is like nothing. You give way more than that. For us, that was a lot. And I go back and I look at our, our giving statement now and I see the total number and I go, wow, we could have done some stuff with this. <laughs> like this in a 401k, wow. This with braces, this with hospital bills, this with, like important stuff. But you know, I look at that number and I don't miss or regret any of it. Every penny was worth it. We may not always be able to give that much. Things happen in life and stuff comes up. We'll never give less than 10. But the reason I tell you that is just this is so true. Your heart follows your treasure. And I don't trust my heart enough to not give as much as I can. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for how you provide for us. Thank you for your word. God, I pray you would bless us abundantly as you already have by giving us your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.